Welcome to the Dr. Haynes Report. I'm Carol Haynes. Even though there's been extensive national coverage on critical race theory for months, many people say they still don't understand it and can't identify it around them. So in this episode, I'm going to talk a bit about the origins of critical race theory. Then I'll delve into how you can recognize it and how it's impacting our country. I'll wind up with suggestions for ways that you can help to stop critical race theory. Critical race theory is one of the most controversial topics in America today. Yet many still say they don't understand it, they don't know how to recognize it. Critical race theory is a race-based Marxist revolutionary movement that threatens the very existence of our nation and our individual freedoms. This is war. And to win this war, we have to know absolutely everything about our enemy, who, what, purpose, strategy. So let's begin with a brief history of the critical race theory. Karl Marx was the 19th century German political theorist and revolutionary socialist and the best-known disciple of the German philosopher George W.F. Hegel. He was born into an affluent, non-religious Jewish family that had converted to Christianity, though Karl Marx would become an atheist. Although he was well-educated, Marx expected others to financially support him so that he could work on what he wanted to work on. That was his revolutionary ideas. In 1848, Marx and a fellow revolutionary socialist, Friedrich Engels, wrote the Communist Manifesto. Marx's political theory was about class conflict between the capitalists, the bourgeoisie, and the working classes, the proletariat, in industrialized capitalist countries. He believed the solution was a worker revolution where the workers would seize control of the means of production, meaning the factories, they would overthrow the capitalist class, and they would usher in a new socialist society. That would be communism. Sounds simple enough. Yet a worker revolution did not occur in Europe during World War II. Instead, it occurred in Russia, a backward agrarian nation of mostly peasants and industrial workers who lived in abject poverty under years of Russian imperialism. During the Russian Revolution, the Bolsheviks, led by leftist revolutionary Vladimir Lenin from the intelligentsia, meaning the scholarly group, overthrew the Tsarist regime. The Bolsheviks would later become the Communist Party of the Soviet Union. These Russian Bolsheviks met in Moscow at the Marx-Engels Institute to discuss why the Russian Revolution was successful and why the German Revolution failed. They realized there would not be a proletariat or worker world revolution as Marx had envisioned. Marx had believed that communism would produce desperate, dying capitalist societies. Instead, capitalist countries had become prosperous and flourishing because of private ownership and the rule of law. The working class had gone from a poor class to a middle class that was stable, conservative, and even a counter-revolutionary force against a Marxist revolution. The Russian Bolshevik conspirators concluded that they would have to use different tactics to bring about communism in Western Europe and the United States. It should be noted here that critical theory was from the beginning a continuous attack on Western institutions and norms in order to tear them down. The attack was aimed solely at the West and the United States. Their new strategy was to change the culture, to break down cultural barriers first in order to create a gradual revolution. This was later called cultural Marxism. Cultural Marxists understood that the value of prosperous capitalist free societies stabilized and actually prevented a revolution. 
Their long-term game plan was to destroy traditional religion with this Christian culture, collapse sexual morality, deliberately undermine the nuclear family, and infiltrate other American institutions. In 1923, this group of socialist and communist conspirators established the Institute for Social Research at Goethe University in Frankfurt, Germany, where they conducted their critical theory research. Max Horkheimer became the director of the Institute. The Frankfurt School, a neo-Marxist think tank, associated itself with the Institute and developed critical thinking, a critical theory. Soon after Adolf Hitler's rise to power in 1933, the members of the Frankfurt School, who were nearly all Jewish, fled Germany. They moved to New York City in 1935, and there they joined Columbia University, where they met up with John Dewey, who's often called the father of progressive education. There, the cultural Marxists began their long-range plan to change our culture and our norms by infiltrating major American institutions, and they began with education, religion, labor, and entertainment. This is often referred to as the long march through the institutions. In a 1937 essay, Frankfurt School leader Max Horkheimer first defined critical theory as a social theory to critique and change society. After the Allies defeated the Nazis, he left the United States and returned to Germany to continue their work there, but he left his associate, Herbert Marcuse, in the United States. During the 20th century, a number of regimes carried out Marxist-style revolutions, but all ended in disaster, all of them. Nearly 100 million people died under these socialist governments in the United, uh, in the Soviet Union, in China, Cambodia, Cuba, and elsewhere. Marxists tried to trigger a revolution during the social and racial unrest of the 1960s, but they lost out to the civil rights movement. Americans preferred improving their country to overthrowing it. But Marxists did not give up their agenda. They just simply adapted. Out of the violent 1960s with its radical civil rights, anti-Vietnam War activism, and neo-Marxism arose leftist movements, broadly defined as the New Left with Herbert Marcuse, often referred to as his father. The New Left broke away from classical Marxism, which characterized the Old Left. Some of the leftist movements were cobbled together, while others came forth and rose new from the New Left. The New Left was active as a movement from the mid-1960s until the early 1970s, after which it collapsed as a movement. However, its influence and impact continued on as the new left became the academic left as it moved from the street into the classroom. Activists in the 1960s entered graduate school. They moved into faculty positions, and they began to publish in the humanities, the social sciences, and in teacher education. From this academic incubator emerged the woke movement of the late 2010s. At Harvard Law School, scholars developed an offshoot of critical theory, and they called it critical legal theory. By the, 19, by the late 1970s, critical legal theory had become a full-fledged movement. Law professors were influenced to view the U.S. Constitution and our legal system as systemically racist, though a review of the impact of the civil rights movement and legislation was cited as an objective, the real objective was the destruction of the present system. These law students became law professors. They became lawyers and judges. This is why we see courts today, such as the Ninth District, rendering left-wing, radical, anti-constitution decisions. 
in the 1980s and the 1990s, out of Marxist critical theory came another offshoot, critical race theory. It spread from the university to the media, federal agencies, and to public education. It was Marcuse who helped to transform critical thinking into critical race theory, excuse me, from transform critical theory into critical race theory. A witness to the riots and violence associated with the 1960s civil rights era and the anti-Vietnam War movement, Marcuse believed he had found a new change agent who would stage a socialist revolution of minorities with more categories that would be created as they needed them. He began to cobble together a new proletariat. The ghetto population and the black movement would be used to stir up hatred against the social norms of the United States. Racial minorities would become the new oppressed and whites would become the new oppressors. In his essay on liberation, Marcuse explained why he believed the black population would become the change agent or the new oppressed group. And he wrote this. The ghetto population of the United States is such a force. Confined to small areas of living and dying, it can be more easily organized and directed. Moreover, located in the core cities of the country, the ghettos form natural geographical centers from which the struggle can be mounted against targets of vital economic and political importance. He goes on to say the long-range power of the Black Rebellion is further threatened by the deep division within this class in its marginal, meaning in terms of the capitalist system, and its marginal social function. And he winds up with this. The fact is that at present in the United States, the black population appears as the most natural force of rebellion. Black Americans and feminists were co-opted by neo-Marxists, many of whom were black feminists, to Marcuse's revolutionary strategy of critical race theory. Over time, other minority groups and elements were added, including queer theory, feminist theory, civil rights theory. Critical race theory was fused into cultural Marxism, and it was fused into neo-Marxism, with neo-Marxism becoming known as identity Marxism. Derek Bell, a pioneer Harvard law scholar, often described the godfather of critical race theory, but the term was, co was coined in the 1980s by Kimberly Crenshaw, a law professor at the UCLA School of Law and at Columbia Law School. So even though Derek Bell was described as the godfather, we still have someone else who had named it, and that was the 1980s by Kimberly Crenshaw. Another offshoot of the Frankfurt School's critical theory is critical pedagogy. That is the theory of education. That emerged in the 1980s. So that, too, is an offshoot. This uh, critical pedagogy was central to the destabilization of the West. Marx's Brazilian education theorist, Paulo Freire, the father of critical pedagogy, advocated for teaching about oppression to stir up hatred among students. His 1968 book, Pedagogy of the Oppressed is the third most cited book in the social sciences and the foundational text in nearly every college of education and every teacher pre-service program in North America and well beyond that. So let's look at what critical race theory is. Many conservatives believe that it is an academic discipline. However, critical race theorists state that it's really a movement being pushed by a collection of activists and scholars interested in studying and transforming the relationship among race, racism, and power. 
In a nutshell, CRT is a race-based Marxist revolutionary movement created by far-left intellectuals at Ivy League universities. Critical race theory is not about skin color, but it's about dividing the people to trigger a civil revolution followed by a communist takeover. Critical race theory is rooted in the Marxist economic theory of class conflict with workers against capitalists. However, critical race theory focuses on racial conflict instead, whites as oppressors and non-whites as oppressed. Actually, the war is being waged by white elites and intellectuals against the workers who are predominantly white, they're working class, they're small-town Americans with traditional social values. Christianity and Western civilization are broadly included in this. The left denies that critical race theory is in our institutions. True, they don't mention that term, but they do use code terms or euphemisms with upside-down meanings. So here's just a few from their constantly changing lexicon. One of the big ones is whiteness. Now, whiteness means one thing to you and me. It means another thing to radicals. To them, it's anyone of any race, creed, nationality, color, sex, or sexual preferences who embrace capitalism. They embrace free markets, limited government, and American traditional culture and values. That's the whiteness or the white they're referring to. By definition, these beliefs, these beliefs meaning capitalism, free markets, limited government, and traditional culture and values, these beliefs are irredeemably evil, and anyone aligned with them is also evil. Well, here's another term, anti-racism. It actually means anti-white. All people must be critical race theory activists in order to fight racism. If not, then you're racist. But if you're white and you fight racism, you're still a racist. So you can't win. Now, here are a number of terms, and as I said, they constantly are being added, but here are some of the popular ones that you may be already familiar with. Anti-racism, systemic racism, white privilege, white fragility, racial equity, white supremacy, diversity, inclusion, equity, DEI, culturally responsive teaching, culturally relevant teaching, social justice, action civics, social-emotional learning, better known as SEL, Colonialism, Black Lives Matter, intersectionality, decolonization, minorities, people of color, and disparate impact. Diversity, equity, and inclusion, or DEI, are key critical race theory code words. Diversity means giving one racial or gender group preference over others. Equity, to Marxists, does not mean equality or equal treatment under the law. Instead, it means that government, including public schools, the military, and the bureaucracy must treat individuals unequally according to skin color in order to force, to force equal outcomes. And they believe that there must be equal outcomes for everybody, and we know that's an impossibility. And they know it too, but this is what they, they push out. Inclusion actually means exclusion. This is another part of the DEI, inclusion. It actually means exclusion and often results in programs that lead to destructive segregation and race quotas. Marxists want an equity-based form of government. All private lands would be seized and redistributed among racial lines. It would mean the end of private property, the end of individual rights, the individual the end of equality under the law, federalism, and freedom of speech. Instead, we would have race-based redistribution of wealth, 
group-based rights, active discrimination, and omnipotent bureaucratic authority. Okay, let's, in a nutshell, look at the tenets or their beliefs. Critical race theory promotes three main ideas, race essentialism, collective guilt, and neo-segregation, meaning new segregation or resegregation, two ways you can put that. It divides all Americans along lines of race and gender and between oppressor and oppressed. Okay, America was founded on racism, slavery, and white supremacy. They also claim that all Western civilization, especially America, is infused with white supremacy, white privilege, and institutionalized racism, systemic racism. That's a big term we've been hearing for the last year. And then there's another belief, race essentialism. And that means that all whites are racist and cannot change. And even children who are three months old, three months old, are racist. Give me a break. All whites are guilty. Whites must be segregated. The state must discriminate against whites with race-based benefits and redistribution of wealth, and the state must seize any property held by whites. Another belief of these Marxists is that the First Amendment right of free speech for whites must be abolished. Also, the white race must be abolished, and you abolish the term Caucasian to condition the public into accepting this total elimination of whites. So the, the, the term Caucasian will just go away unless we force it to stay. There will be no equality under the law. Uh, they will discriminate according to race, sex, or na national origin. They ignore the 14th Amendment and the Civil Rights Act of 1964. Meritocracy and equal opportunity are racist. They want to eliminate standardized tests, already doing that. And this is because Asians and whites get the highest scores, so therefore they are privileged oppressors. They want to abolish capitalism and replace it with collectivism, socialism, or communism. That's what collectivism is. So how does critical race theory impact our nation? Daily we see and hear about examples of CRT in our society, but still many Americans don't recognize it. So here are some examples. America is a racist nation. That is the message that you're supposed to be getting when professional athletes take a knee when the national anthem is being played. This is absolutely idiotic, lunatic, stupid. Since the majority of the athletes are black with multi-million dollar contracts and they come out sometimes with hundreds of millions of dollars for the rest of their lives. The Marxist founders of the organization Black Lives Matter believe that America is racist, the statutes of its legal systems codify racism, and speech and other rights must be suppressed in order to protect the oppressed. These beliefs come straight from the critical race theory canon. Here are some other things that are deemed racist. Math, two-parent homes, self-reliance, belief that hard work pays off, being polite, and planning for the future. All racist. Critical race theory is about race, group identity, discrimination, and resegregation. School children are taught that they're defined by race, not as individuals. They're taught to hate each other, themselves, and America. In Franklin, Tennessee, where some of my family members live, a seven-year-old daughter came home from school one day and said, I'm so ashamed that I'm white. Why am I hated so much, Mom? 
This child now is suicidal and she's in therapy. This is just an example of the term white privilege and race essentialism. She's white so she can't change. And that's the message that the teacher, the school, is pushing out to her and other students. So she's being targeted. In Prosper, Texas, English students were lined up outside the school building and told to step forward or backward to indicate their privilege, such as being white and or male. This is called group identity. Overt discrimination against whites is found in the plan of Minneapolis teachers unions to lay off white teachers before they would lay off any non-whites. Under the term inclusiveness, School policies allow boys and girls in the same private facilities and co-mingling during sex education. It's immaterial whether the girls are sexually abused or raped. Under inclusiveness, transgender males are being placed in cells with female prisoners. Some have been raped and some impregnated. Also under inclusiveness, transgender males are allowed to play on girls' sports teams. Diversity, equity, and inclusion that is a term, has become an entire industry with six-figure salaries. Rooted in Marxist ideology, DEI is one of the greatest threats facing American society. It's implemented everywhere, in our military, our government, businesses, churches, public schools, private schools. Meritocracy-based advanced academic classes and tests and grades are being banned because they supposedly discriminate. And this is because Asians and whites get the highest scores, so this makes them privileged oppressors. In Virginia, Thomas Jefferson High School for Science and Technology, the highest-ranked public school in America, illegally discriminated against Asian American students in its application process. In their 2021 2020 and 2021 school year, the student body was about 72% Asian American. They had 18% white, 3% Hispanic, and 1% black in a country of, in a county rather, of 20% Asian Americans. Now, their new admission policy removed standardized testing requirements to get in. It lowered the GPA requirements and included whether or not the, uh, the, the students were English language learners, and if they were eligible for free or reduced price school lunches. And this would leave out, most generally, it would leave out the Asian Americans and and many of the whites. CRT is pervasive in the military. Lieutenant Colonel Matthew Lohmeyer, a 2006 graduate of the Air Force Academy, who was kicked out of the military not too long ago because he exposed their Marxists again, says this, Military service members are being told to say that virtually all white people contribute to racism or they were told to say that they benefit from racism. So how can we stop it? What can you do to to stop it? Critical race theory has become a tool of political power. It's fast achieving culture hegemony. And American public institutions is driving the vast majority of the state and society. So how do we stop it? We absolutely have to work on every level to stop this communist machine. We can file lawsuits, but those are expensive and they're very long range. Remember that present day lawyers and judges have been trained in Marxist universities, so don't be surprised if you lose the case. A more effective way to stop critical race theory is just to say no to the Marxist agenda, the entire agenda. First thing we can do is understand what critical race theory is 
its tenets, meaning its beliefs, and all of its code words. Learn how to recognize it around you. Learn about identity politics or identity Marxism and the purpose behind transgenderism, intimidation tactics, and what to look for, especially in education. You can get information from resources, handouts, and articles on my website, all kinds of information. And that, that would be under Critical Race Theory 101. And here's my website, www.drcarolhhaines.com. Let me repeat that, www.drcarolhhaines.com. And there will be um, this this podcast as and YouTube, as well as some flyers that you can um, send off electronically or download and hand them out and share them with friends. Another thing, another way you can stop critical race theory is refuse to bend to Marxism. Stop using their politically correct words or doing their politically correct things. Go back to our founding principles and values. Let's bring back thoughtfulness. Let's bring back integrity, honesty, individualism, intact families, regularly attending search services, and respect for others. Listen to and sing music. They tell us you're not supposed to listen to that. You're not supposed to sing it because it is racist, it's politically incorrect. Listen to it and sing it. It wasn't racist or politically incorrect at one time. Let's bring it all back. Speak up and don't worry about what others are going to think. It doesn't matter what they think. Stand tall and be forceful. At the grassroots level, multiracial and bipartisan coalitions are forming are forming to aggressively war against Marxism. Even if you don't have children, what happens in schools directly affects you and the future of America. So join up with parents who are mobilizing against racially divisive curricula and tactics in schools. Because as those students get older, how they vote, how they, how they go about life, how they rear their children, it all will directly affect you and directly affect our country. A good thing is that employees are increasingly speaking out about the Orwellian re-education in the workplace. Join up with others in your neighborhood, church, community, schools, wherever you find people coming together. Create underground lines of communication when the internet goes down, the cell phones are down, and that is coming. You can bank on it. Many people are planting neighborhood gardens, so we'll be ready for the famine that's being planned worldwide. A fourth suggestion is aggressively stand up and face the mob. Speak out against Marxist tactics and destruction of our culture. I went to a high school football game recently to watch our nephew play. Well, I was aghast at how loudly the lady behind me could yell and shake her milk jug filled with rocks. She practically destroyed my hearing and sanity. So we tried to move to a quieter location. We found there was no quieter place. There were many more like her on our side of the stadium. When the referee made a wrong call, the crowd aggressively vented their wrath. And I couldn't help but think about where our nation would be if millions were as aggressive towards spineless or woke politicians, educators, businesses, union bosses, doctors, clergy, news media, and anyone else who caves to those lunatic savages to avoid their wrath. Number five, another suggestion. 
Many Christians are sitting on the sidelines saying that the solution is to pray and wait for the rapture. There's no point in doing anything because it's going to be solved. Not to fight for one's freedom is simply cowardly. In the meantime, if you're one of those who thinks you're just going to wait for the rapture, number one, you don't know when the rapture is coming. You have no idea. The Bible doesn't say that. You may have to stand in toilet paper lines or you may have to rummage in garbage cans for food just like the people of Venezuela are doing. And Venezuela was one of the richest nations in the world at one time. It was the richest in the Latin America and South America at one time. We're running parallel paths with Venezuela and their fall to communism. We are falling in the same fashion as they did. Number six, another suggestion. We must destroy the Marxists before they totally destroy our nation. One way is the power of the purse. Let's take our business to those who share our values. And seventh, let's use our moral language and not words that are politically correct by Marxist standards. For example, it's ridiculous to debate that you're not a racist or all about diversity. Instead, let's talk about excellence. Talk about meritocracy. Two-parent homes with a biological male and a biological female. Self-reliance, hard work. Let's talk about that instead of getting caught up in a debate that you're not going to win because there is no, it's, there's no sanity to be talking about some of the things. So in conclusion, we do have a choice. We can fight or we can go down. To win the war and to save America from falling into a communist dictatorship, we must aggressively go after the entire Marxist agenda by absolutely every means available to us. Thank you for joining me for this episode of the Dr. Haynes Report. Please check out my other podcasts and YouTube at www.drhainesreport.com. Till we meet again.